hey, do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them what you're looking forward to. If you've got a spread on tonight's game, maybe there's a certain commercial you're looking forward to. 30 seconds, actually. Go. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> hey, we are so glad that you're here. And uh, for those of you who are visiting with us, this is The Harbor. And my name is Neil Hubacher. I'm one of the awesome, I mean, I'm just not awesome, but our team is awesome. Our team is awesome. Thank you. I feel awesome. Thank you. Uh, we got a wonderful thing going on here. It's God and it's all of his goodness. And you've come at a great time because we are just going through, we're calling it Harbor 101. We're just going through our vision and values, the things that beat on our heart and we feel like um, what God has said for us to do and be as a people. Thanks to Joe Noyes. Joe Noyes, where are you, Joe? Where's Joe? There he is. Thanks for this beautiful graphic. Round of, round of applause for Joe Noyes. Look at that graphic up there. Come on. That's, that's the common good right there. People acting in their gifting, and we love it. So, um, you know, as a church, we uh, carry a lot of things as, as directives, and there's wonderful things in Scripture that we want to obey, namely, and, and actually we'll talk about these later, but for example, the great commandments, Mark 10, 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, um, and you should love others like yourself. Also, the great commission we take pretty seriously, Matthew 28, 18, go, make disciples, um, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And uh, we take those things really seriously. And those are, those are commands really for the whole church. But this church that you're sitting in the harbor is about two and a half years old. And when we got together in the in late summer, fall of 2007 to get things started, we started to ask God, God, who do you want us to be? Not because we have this need to be kind of terminally unique or there's something special about us, you know, unlike other churches or anything like that. Not a pride attitude. But understanding, you know, Proverbs says, without vision, people perish. And also, also understanding, uh, like, I, I love Genesis 49, where Jacob, Israel, blesses his 12 sons, and with each one, he gives a unique identity and a u- unique kind of uh, blessing over them about who they're to become. Some of it good, some of it not so good, as some of you know. But so in that vein, we are saying, God, we know that we're not um, all that in a bag of chips, so to speak, but we are wanting to be who you've called us to be. Just like the best thing that you can do as an individual, Holland, the best thing is we need Holland to be the best Holland. If that includes playing bass, great. If it, if it means dividing the word of God rightly and sharing, great. But Holland's going to be the best thing for all of us if he's who God has created him to be. We feel that corporately also. Here on the North Shore, if the harbor can be the best harbor that God's called us to be, we're going to be walking all the fullness of God, and plus we're going to see the water level of the Spirit raised in the city. That's what we want. We don't want just us to prosper. We want the church, capital C, to prosper. And actually, I, just lately this week, I've been really touched by Acts 5, where um, the, the Sanhedrin's getting a little bit ticked off at the disciples and saying, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Cut it out. And God's been burning a fire under me and say, I don't want to just have a decent church that has a little bit of fun on Sundays, but I want to see Beverly, and I want to see Hamilton and Wenham. I want to see Salem and Peabody. I want to see the North Shore filled with the teaching of the gospel. I want it to be so the mayor is asking the church, can you help us? We have a problem. And I did send an email saying, hey, we can help you when you have a problem. I said, just so you know. I did. I congratulated him on his win. I said, hey, Mayor. We, we've talked on the phone before. I said, hey, Mayor, if you need anything, there's a bunch of pastors that pray. Tell us how we can pray for you. Or if you need a volunteer army, there's about 1,000 people in our 
churches, you know, all together. So let us, let's help. So that's what I want. You guys want that? That's what I want. So follow seven. We said, God, who do you want us to be? Special time of prayer and fasting. We felt like God lit up Isaiah 42 for us. Let me read this. If you're in, in, uh, if you have your Bible today, look at Isaiah 42, one through four. Harbor 101. Who are we? <clears throat> Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. Prophetically speaking of Jesus, Jesus is head of the church. We're the church. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he won't break. And a smoldering wick he won't snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. And we felt like, ooh, God, there's something stirring here. This is, this is, a, uh, this is who you want us to be. You want us to be a place where the bruised reeds and the smoldering wicks don't get snuffed out or broken. But you just revive people back into your and sheer love. And we knew that it was going to be a place where we have to have the nations and the justice of God, whether that's our neighbor next door or the neighbor in Jordan, they have to be on our heart. And our, all that we do has to be colored by that, this, this reality. And today, so, so in that, you know, at that point, we were just calling ourselves North Shore Community of Faith because our sending church is called Community of Faith Christian Fellowship, CFCF in Boston. And by the way, I know that sounds like a mouthful, but those first two words, or the two big words, community and faith, were also deliberately chosen for identity. Let me explain that to you before I explain the harbor. Community of faith, and we came, and I was a part of that church planting team back in 1998. And when we arrived, we thought, hey, two things are going to be really important for the city of Boston are one, community, because the body of Christ doesn't seem to have a whole lot of it. You know, people need relationship. This whole thing is about relationship. So we want to be deliberate, especially in a city of all sorts of, um, you know, it's, it's, it can get really lonely, even though you're in the middle of a city of 600,000 people, 4 million greater Boston, but community is key. And then we chose faith because if there is a, um, if there is an opposite power to what God wants to do in Boston, New England, it is unbelief. It's not a coincidence that we have all these wonderful institutions, and I'm not here to dog any university, but there's something about the exaltation of the mind over Boston that is just in, in, in ter- direct opposite to the faith that God wants to release in here. And we, we recognize that. So we are going to be a community of faith. That is where CFCF got its name. And then as we looked at this verse here, and as a kind of a nod to our geographic location, we said, God, seems like you want us to be a harbor because a harbor is both a safe place where ships get restored and it's also the place from which ships get launched. And thus you have our little vision there. If you look at your bulletin, it says, haven for the broken, launch to the nations. Everyone say, haven for the broken. broken. Launch to the nations. And today in Harbor 101, I just want to look at what we mean when we're talking about haven for the broken. I want to unpack that for us because even that word broken has double meanings and we mean both of them and I'm going to tell you all about it, okay? Haven for the broken. Haven for the broken. Like it says in verse 3 of the chapter I just read, a bruised reed he won't break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. This is the heart of Jesus today. So when I think about the harbor, 
being a haven for the broken, I think of three things. The first thing is that Jesus accepts us in our brokenness. Jesus accepts us in our brokenness. Everyone just say, Jesus accepts me me. in my brokenness. brokenness. And don't be fooled. You might be trying to fool me or your friends, but I know that there's a lot of brokenness around here. And there's a lot of brokenness in your heart. And when I'm speaking of brokenness today, I'm not speaking about humility or this first point. I'm not speaking of brokenness as just a synonym for humility. I'm speaking of brokenness as in the damaged goods that are your soul and mine because of the world, the flesh, and the devil. In May 2008, a large aircraft carrier in the U.S. Navy, the USS George Washington, was changing station. It was moving from its home in Norfolk, Virginia to go all the way to its new station in Japan. And I don't, I've forgotten the name of that naval base there. But a ship as large as a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier doesn't fit through the Panama Canal. So it needs to go around South America. And sure enough, off the coast of South America, a fire developed in this nuclear-powered uh, aircraft carrier. Thankfully, because of the training of the personnel, that fire was contained to about 80 uh, crew chambers, and it never got to the nuclear part, which could have been disastrous to the drive of the, of the aircraft carrier. But there was this ship, and boy, did it need safe harbor. It couldn't make it all the way to Japan. Thankfully, like Norfolk, Virginia, on the west coast, we have a naval, a naval sta- station in San Diego, excuse me, which can handle this. And so this ship found safe harbor in San Diego so it could be repaired before it made its final destination to Japan. And I thought about this USS George Washington, and I thought, isn't that just like our lives? Isn't that like my life? You know, I'm set on a course. I I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Here I go. But then a fire comes. And as I say, we could, together we would weep for the rest of our lives when I think about the brokenness in some of our lives. The uh, disappearing parents, the divorce the abuse right here in this room and the pain that some of you are walking with. There's just a lot of fires that have been lit in your ships, if I can just be frank. And it breaks my heart daily because I walk with it. And I, I walk with you and I listen to it and I, get, I, I just say, God, sometimes it's too much to bear. I said, and I, you know, this is just 200 people. What do you do, Lord, with the earth? You know, Six billion and all of our brokenness. Jesus accepts us in our brokenness. That's always been the heart of God. Psalm 34, 8 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. So if you're out there just super aware of your own brokenness, super aware of the fact that you're damaged goods because of woundedness that you've acquired over the years, the fire that's raging in your heart, and not the fire of God, but a fire of destruction, just know that God's heart is, he's with you. He's near you. And in fact, he's always wanted your company. He's always wanted the company of those who are brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. And boy, did we get this, did we understand this clearly when Jesus came, right? Hebrews says that Jesus is the, the, the image of the invisible God. And so now we got to see in the flesh God's desire to be near the broken and the hurting, the wounded. It's hard, actually, to choose a few stories from the Gospels because that's what Jesus was doing all the time. But let me just highlight a few and especially one. Maybe you remember with me John 4, where Jesus spoke with the woman at the well, right? He accepted this woman and all her brokenness. And boy, was she broken, right? She had been with four men and was on number five. Out of the woundedness and neediness of her own heart, just going from man to man. 
And what did Jesus do? Did Jesus rebuke her? (laughs) No. He received her. And not only that, but he explained to her, he let her be a recipient of just a treasure of the kingdom. This is what true worship is. This is worshiping spirit and truth. And because of Jesus' receiving this woman, not only her, but her whole village got touched by God. Her whole village got to hear the good news of the kingdom. Boy, does Jesus want to do that with you. You may be sitting there thinking your particular brand of brokenness or your woundedness is so out there or is so uh, different or unique. I just have news for you today. You're not terminally unique, okay, no matter what your issue is. God loves you, and Jesus wants to not only accept you in your brokenness, but use you for his purposes. In fact, your brokenness doesn't disqualify you. Oftentimes, it qualifies you. Once it gets healed, it qualifies you for him and his purposes. Maybe you remember John 8, right? The woman caught in adultery also. Where's the man? I don't know, because Jewish law says they're both equally guilty. But somehow, the Pharisees only got a hold of the woman, grabbed her before Jesus, what happens? Did Jesus reject her? Did Jesus mock her? Did Jesus shame her? Right? She's already completely shamed, right? As you and I are. You know, if, uh, if, if I showed on this screen the video of my thoughts in the last 24 hours, I'd have a little bit of shame, honestly. And I'd go back to the next 10 years, and I'd probably, uh, you know, I would be an ostrich. My head would be in the, in the floorboard here. I would be so ashamed of what goes on in this heart. So much pride, so much conceit, so much lust, so much envy. It's unbelievable. But God doesn't condemn that woman, he said, woman, where are your accusers? They all left. And he said, go and sin no more. That's what Jesus does with your brokenness. That's what he does with mine. <clears throat> Let's look at, in particular, the story of Luke 7. The woman, the sinful woman, it says, <laughs> who anointed Jesus' hair, or sorry, with her hair, anointed Jesus with perfume. I'm, I'm in Luke 7, verse 36 says, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house. Remember, Pharisee's just a religious leader, <laughs> expert in the law. When a woman who had lived a sinful life. Now what's NIV trying to say there? When a woman, a woman who lived a sinful life. Let the reader understand, this is a prostitute. And it's not like she just had done this once or twice, you know. But she was living a sinful life. It's the life she'd chosen. Who knows what brokenness led her there, you know? I've got to assume that in a culture like the Jewish culture where, you know, there is so much emphasis on family that things had really broken down for this woman, you know? Who knows what, what crisis in her family had brought her to, to live this kind of life? <laughs> a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And Jesus, to make an object lesson of this, was speaking to the Pharisee who invited him. And he asks, and I'm I'm skipping down to, well, okay, I'll I'll just keep going in 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 the story. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. She's broken, really broken. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money, owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. 
You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she went. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. This is the heart of Jesus. When we talk about the harbor being a safe haven, a haven for the broken, that's what we're talking about. The heart of Jesus receiving the one that the others would condemn. And listen, your brokenness and mine, Jesus still accepts you. I want to tell you about a young girl that Kelsey and I got to know, a young woman. <laughs> we're going to call her Jenny. Really is, is not her name. Usually I, f- I fake you out and I say who she really is. And but Because we're podcasting, I'm going to actually pretend, pretend name, Jenny. We're going to call this girl Jenny. Kelsey, my wife, and I, we met doing Young Life, a ministry for youth. And in the course of our ministry, we got to know a girl named Renata that actually has a real name. And Renata came to Kelsey one day crying because she was getting persecuted at the bus stop because she was a Christian. And, you know, this person, Jenny, was just being so mean to Renata. We couldn't believe it. And um, in the course of time, Kelsey got introduced to Jenny by Renata. And... um, we were both blown away by Renata's maturity. She's a high school student, and she said, you know, this girl keeps bothering me at the bus stop because I have faith in Jesus, and um, to the point of tears. You know, Renata's always crying. But Renata said, I, my job is to pray for Jenny. My job is to pray for Jenny. We we're just blown away. Wow, who's this high school junior who's praying for enemies who are making her cry? And we got to know Jenny. And truth be told, hanging out with Jenny was like, Diving naked into barbed wire. It just hurt a lot. Anytime you're with Jenny, it was just hard not to get hurt because she was just this whirlwind of negativity. She was such a negative, nasty, mean person. Now we understand why Renata would cry every time she was with her. But Kelsey, being the wonderful young life leader she was, did a super job at getting to know Jenny. And it's no wonder why she was a whirlwind of negativity. She was rejected from birth. When she was born, her parents wished that she had been a boy. So they sent her back to China to her grandparents to live for three years. When her grandparents couldn't handle it anymore, they sent her back to the U.S. Jenny later had a younger brother. The younger brother got a room, (laughs) a bedroom with a bed. Jenny had a mattress in the basement on the concrete floor. And this is in Newton, Massachusetts, okay? This is where the average household income is well over $100,000 a year, okay? Jenny was forced to go to church so she could learn English. The rejection was unbelievable. And worst of all, and this is, we're, we're so used to this kind of stuff that it, it, we, I think our hearts get hard to it, but worst of all, at the hands of a family member, Jenny regularly suffered physical and sexual abuse. So no wonder she's just this whirlwind of negativity. We get to know her, and we just start to be with her as difficult as it is. And Kelsey is, is brave, brave enough to invite Jenny to Young Life Camp. Camp, for those of you who know the Young Life Ministry, is kind of this wonderful week where they just do a super job of explaining the gospel in a very clear and wonderful and winsome way. In the course of this week, Jenny goes to just a concert. One of the worship leaders wasn't one of the main sessions, but... During, during um, an afternoon or an evening sometime there, a worship leader gave a, a concert. And in the middle of that concert, he shared his testimony. And uh, 
his words, in, in wrapping up his ten- testimony, he just said, you know, you just need to surrender. There's a point where you just come and you surrender. And for whatever reason, that was Jenny's time. And that word surrender just unlocked everything in her heart. And she finally just said, I surrender to you, Jesus. And then a flood of tears, really that wouldn't stop for weeks, honestly, but a flood of tears as Jenny gave her heart to Christ and allowed God to come and wash her. And I say, this is the Jesus that I know. This is the Jesus that accepts people in all their brokenness and all their sin, all their nastiness. Jenny found Jesus to be someone who accepted her in her brokenness. It was phenomenal. The second thing that we have in mind when we talk about the harbor being a haven for the broken is that Jesus heals our wounds. Okay, Jesus heals our woundedness. Too many of us, I'm convinced, especially in the North American church, we kind of hold on to our woundedness, our little pet thing. And it's almost like, it's like I have this little chinchilla, I don't know, on my shoulder, and I pet it, and I'm like, ah, oh, this is my woundedness, I'm terminally broken, and it's just my identity, and... I don't even know what a chinchilla is. Is it a soft furry creature? I don't know. Is it very soft? Super soft. So, you know, it's, we treat our woundedness, oh, I'm just broken. And um, poor me, you know, I'm just a mess. But listen, Jesus' heart is that once he accepts you, he wants to heal you. He really does. He wants to deliver you. And I am convinced that one of the things that Jesus would do today is for some of you who are in extreme despair or exceptional hopelessness, hopelessness because you feel like your chinchilla is just your little problem that you're going to carry all your life, Jesus wants to heal it. He really, really does. And to carry this ship analogy a little further, I went to a wonderful source of all truth and wisdom and knowledge, YouTube. <laughs> and I saw a wonderful video on YouTube, and it was um, the, um, a, a ship called the uh, Radiance of the Seas. It's the Royal um, Caribbean Cruise Line. And um, they just showed about a 16-minute sequence of what they do when they brought this thing into dry dock for the first time after its two years. And I mean, wow, it's kind of amazing what has to happen. This ship is huge. And the whole time, my, my spirit is just lighting up because I'm seeing all these analogies. Let me share them with you. So first of all, when this ship gets brought into dry dock in the Bahamas, first, before they drain the water from the lock, they have to make sure that this thing is, is, is well settled. You know, underwater, they have to put supports underneath it and tie it up on the side so that when they drain all the water, this thing doesn't fall down. And I just think, Jesus, that's just like you. You're so gentle with us. You know, Matthew 11, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. He's a humble teacher, and he knows how to handle your brokenness. And he's not going to come in guns a-blazing on you. I mean, sometimes he does, but his heart is always going to be, he's just going to take care of you. He's going he's to be gentle with you. Like, <laughs> if this ship didn't have these awesome supports before they drain the water, I mean, what a massive disaster that would be because this thing is huge. And then they drain the water so they can get at the underside. Boom. What's underneath these ships is absolutely ginormous. There is another, below the waterline, there is another 27 meters. So what's that, about 90 feet of ship underneath where the keel is? And it's just huge. 
And when you drain the water, what you see is you see also the massive propellers. I mean, almost look goofy to me because the propellers are so disproportionate with the ship, but you just don't see them because they're underwater. They stick out under the bottom. Two ginormous propellers and also a horizontal stabilizer, much like the wings of an airplane, just to keep that ship from rolling too much so the passengers aren't too discomforted. And I just thought, isn't that interesting that all that's under the surface, what drives and what stabilizes is all under the surface. And I just thought, that's just like you and me, you know? That's just like you and me. Two pastors could be leading a church. One could be leading it to get validation and feel good about himself. And another pastor could be doing it because he's sold out for the kingdom of God. And I hope I'm more the second, not the first. You know what I'm saying? Two people can be doing the same thing, but you have no idea what's under the surface, driving and stabilizing them, what their internal motivations are. I mean, you do as you start to walk in community. It's one of the reasons we walk in community, so all that stuff can come, come out. But listen, Jesus wants to heal you. He knows how to handle your brokenness. He knows how to dip, get the water low, get in your undersides, figure out what's stabilizing and driving you, and heal those things. Because that's what gets you into messes. You know, that's why people, um, you know, Jim kind of mentioned, that's why people, for example, in the context of the church, that's why people can be, yes, Jesus, I'm all yours. I'm going to the mission field. I'm going to the uttermost. And we want to go to the uttermost. Don't get me wrong. But then when, when things totally collapse, you know, um, be, because um, uh, just because maybe the person wasn't quite finished, there wasn't quite a finished work of maturity in them, when things collapse because inwardly it wasn't settled that, hey, I'm loved by God no matter how I perform. Um, you know, that's tough, but Jesus knows how to, has how to handle it. I talked to Rose. Rose Minnie here, you saw her in Wendy's. Rose has restored a boat also. Rose got a 1978 boat, nine 1979 boat. This is back in 2000. Not a big one. And she restored it. And uh, two, two things. She, she explained the process in detail to us while we were at Wendy's. And um, having a nice junior whatever. And, uh, <coughs> you know, not everything on the dollar menu is a dollar anymore. So, you know, there's some things that are $1.59. Like the baked potato. Watch out for the value menu. It's not all value all the time. Just have to warn you. <coughs> But you're not going to buy things in the value man- menu anyways. You're coming. You're spending your cash for Navigate. So Rose is telling me about her boat that she restored. And two, two things in that process stuck out. One was that she had to, for the paint on the side, she had to strip it all down. Strip it all down so she could refinish. And again, you can probably see where I'm headed. Some of the trials in your life, some of the tough corners that you find yourself backed in is because Jesus, he's so after, like we sung, he won't relent until he gets purity and holiness out of your heart. And so sometimes it takes being stripped down. And it's not fun. And for me, I'll just say, just, just, to, just to, so it doesn't just stay in analogy land. You know, for me, it's a lot of times where God just put me in relationships where I was either extremely insecure or exceptionally jealous or frustrated. And it was all God's plan to just get me to be secure in God's love for me so that I can enjoy someone else's glory. Someone else gets glorified. In other words, someone else is walking fully in their gifting and calling, and it doesn't diminish from mine. You know, we're all walking fully in our gifting and calling. It's all okay. A lot of people never figure that out, honestly. There's a lot of 60-year-olds out there with BMWs. Nothing wrong with having a BMW. By the way, there's a lot of people who have a lot of stuff, but they've just characters. That the, you know, they have 11-year-old characters. It's kind of sad. So God sometimes strip us down because he wants us to have mature character. The other thing that I noticed when Rose was telling her story is that she spared no expense, and there was a piece of this boat that needed teak wood, you know, just a fine wood. 
And why in the world would, would Rose substitute any other wood? She used the teak wood. She replaced it with the teak wood because it was worth it. And I want to tell you that I know from my heart of hearts that you and your soul are worth it. Jesus has spared no expense. He died on the cross for you, and he loves you. And he's going to spare no expense in the repair of your soul. He's not letting you go. And he's not going to give you a cheap substitute. He wants the real deal in your soul. He's going to heal you. Okay, Jesus heals our wounds. Psalm 102 says, sorry, Psalm 103, Praise the Lord of my soul. Forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. And Hosea 6.1, I love this because of the tragedy of it all. It's really powerful. Hosea 6.1, I think we'll put it up there. Come, let us return to the Lord. It says, He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. I know that messes with us a little theologically. I'm not going to stand here and say that God's the author of evil. He's not. There's several other places in Scripture. It says God doesn't delight in the death of man. It says that God doesn't take away life, but he devises ways so that those banished can remain, cannot remain estranged from him. So God isn't the author of evil. But sometimes in his, just in the economy of life, we are allowed to be torn. We're allowed to be broken. I can't tell you why that happened, but what I do know is that he will bind up your wounds. He will heal you. We have to be sure and recognize that healer. I'm just going to say one other thing on this. And I just want to, I pray that by God's grace, he'd open up your eyes to see how he is healing you. It is he puts you in relationships, you know. We do want you, we, we want you walking in discipleship with people. Because when you're, when you're finally walking close with someone, you know, the great thing about the leadership team is they see all my silly warts and weaknesses, insecurities and fears. And they see my sin when I'm too proud and whatnot. And they can call me on the carpet. Man, you want some of those people in your life. Because that's how God's healing your heart. Do get counseling. You know, there's been seasons in my life where I've gotten some expert counseling, and it's just been wonderful. But you know what I'm believing for today alongside that? There have also been moments in my life where just by the embrace of God, God has done 20 counseling sessions in a moment because God just touches my heart. That's what I'm believing for today as we respond. I'm praying that some of you will get 20 counseling sessions in just a minute because the embrace of God. My son here, he can't articulate all the things that go wrong with him. But man, even if he's really hungry, sometimes I just take him in my embrace. You know, or he's, he's maybe a better example. He's just fussing because he's coming up from a sleep and he's all fussy, fussy and uh, crying. Just, you know, just it's really hard for me to hear his cry. <laughs> Excuse me. But then I just take him in my arms and it's all quieted, you know, even though he might be hungry, but somehow he's able to, you know, he calms down, he's in my embrace and he just is calm and alert. And it's just, it's just, there's no better picture of what God does for you and me than just taking a crying baby into your arms and having him calm down. That's what God wants to do today. So with our friend Jenny, I need to tell you. Jenny had one of those moments. You know, when she surrendered to Christ, she had one of those moments where there's just a lot got, got transformed in her heart right away. Some of it was very revelatory, very supernatural. She felt God's presence. In fact, in her sharing the story, she says how she felt God hugging her. She felt the embrace of God. And then there were things that were long-haul things for, for Jenny. There are things that we had to work through over years. And um, that's just the nature of the game. Okay, third thing that we're thinking about when we say this is a haven for the broken is that Jesus abides with us in our humility. Jesus abides with us in our humility. That ship that I mentioned, the Radiance of the Seas, it has to do that dry dock deal every two years. Every two years it needs the maintenance. 
And the summer of 1992 is when I went to get my pilot's license. And uh, my favorite time to fly would be early in the morning, which wasn't always the smartest thing to do because I had just done a graveyard shift at a um, shipping company, you know? Ships, uh, sorry, yeah, a shipping. It was a distributing company. Trucks would come. They'd unload their freight. We'd sort it, put them back in other trucks, send them out. I was about 11 to 7. Then 7 o'clock in the morning, I, had my, I, was, I was really, I had a good time that summer. It was, um, I had my little red Volkswagen Golf, had my aviator glasses. I'd drive from work to the airport, you know, and uh, Norwood Airport, just basically the same size as Beverly Airport. Get there, and I'd, you know, it's time for me to fly. Let's go. I don't care that I have no sleep. I want to fly. Dangerous, but fun. And uh, <coughs> sometimes I'd get there, and my favorite aircraft would be gone. And we, we know them by their tail numbers, right? 757 Whiskey November. 757WN. We just call it 7 Whiskey November. I said, where's 7 Whiskey November? Ah, oh, this is my favorite plane. Where is it? Little Cessna. Well, it's at its 100 hour. Ah, oh, okay. And this happened. I mean, I got my license in the, sp- in the sp- uh, space of three months. And, but multiple times during that three months, it would be having its 100 hour. Every 100 hours of engine running time, the FAR, Federal Aviation Regulations, require that it be that it be upkeep, you know, that, sorry, that it be maintained. Thank God, you know, because when something goes wrong in a plane, you can't just pull over to the side of the road. You're stuck, right? <laughs> just for fun, my instructor would sometimes, you know, the fuel tank gauge or, or thing was right here. My instructor, once in a while, boom, he just clicked that off, no fuel, engines start to sputter. He'd go, what do you do? What do you do? ABC, airspeed, best place to land. C, communicate. Airspeed, every airplane has an airspeed at which it's going to have the longest distance, the longest glide distance. So get that speed. B, best place to land. Look around. Is there a field? Watch out for the power lines. You know, is there a highway you can land on? And then C, C is communicate. Then you start saying, ah, on the radio. Help. <laughs> okay, that comes last. Anyways, so 7 Whiskey November, often it's a 100-hour. Regular maintenance, regular maintenance. So let me tell you what regular maintenance looks for for the believer. Regular maintenance for the believer equals humility. And let me just give a definition because that word is also a little bit tough. Humility, I love. This is a Bible teacher from Dallas named Jamie Lash. He said that humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Jesus being the best example, Jesus was often the center of attention, but he wasn't the center of his own attention. Okay, that's humility. Let God be the center of your attention. That's humility. Thinking not less of yourself, but of yourself less. Isaiah 66, 2 says, this is the one I esteem. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And then Isaiah 57. I love this one. Isaiah 57, 15. <coughs> For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to receive, uh, revive also, sorry, the, the heart of the contrite. Do you know what contrite means? Contrite comes from a root word, which means to grind. It means broken. So when we're saying here at the harbor that we want to be a haven for the broken, I've got two things in mind. I've got both the fact that you come in with just your woundedness, and this is a safe place, but you get healed, and then you remain broken in the sense of you remain humble. And just a few, can I just give you a few barometers for humility? A few barometers for humility. Let's look at this girl, Jenny. Jenny, she remained humble, or she remained broken because she gave herself to community. She's now in college. This is huge because her mother told her all her life that she was stupid and they would not and could not pay for college. Jenny's now at college, and of all things, she's studying pre-med, you know, rigorous major. But she's submitted to community. 
She's with believers. She's telling people how she's doing. That's what humility looks like, letting people in. That's what humility looks like. We want to remain a people humble before God, sharing with people how we are, letting them into what our deep darks are. I wouldn't do it with tons of people, but you just need a few people around you. You can say, these are my struggles. This is where I need help and whatnot. And I just have to say, I want to highlight right now on staff, he's sitting down right now, John Prickett. John <coughs> is a humble man. You know what I appreciate about John is he's always asking for counsel. That's humility. Whether it's relationships or ministry or what color toilet paper. John, you can decide on your own that one. But actually, sometimes it is actually funny. I haven't told you this, John. Sometimes it is funny what he asks counsel for, but I'm just so glad. I'd rather, honestly, on a staff, I'd way rather have someone on John's end who is asking for counsel than someone who's hidden. So, John, thank you. You're humble. Don't let it get, go to your head. You're a humble man. It's awesome. Okay, amen, amen. He's, he's good. All right, why don't you stand with me?